want to say good evening and welcome you out to our Wednesday evening service here at Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church. Before we get started, we'll go over our announcements for this evening. Uh, Sunday morning at 10.30, we'll have Sunday School on Facebook. We'll be going over a lesson from our quarterly. Then Sunday night at 7, we'll be going back uh, doing our messages for the Book of Romans. We'll be finishing up Chapter 8 on Sunday night. Uh, tonight, we have a special treat. Sadie's going to be singing a song for us. I'm going to be helping her out a little bit. Uh, so be much in prayer for her. But before we get started with tonight's service, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring your message and your songs of worship by way of Facebook, Lord. We pray, Lord, that it is a blessing to all those that get to hear it, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we glorify your name in all that we do, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you give us a filling of the Spirit, Lord, that we may reach out and touch the hearts of those that are listening, Lord, that they see the need for a Savior in their life before it is too late, and that we may edify the church. We pray, Lord, for our nation, that you would heal it from this horrible disease that is plaguing it, Lord. Bless our leaders, Lord, as they try to make decisions, Lord, to uh, protect the citizens of this great country. We pray, Lord, that you give them the knowledge that they need to do that, Lord. We pray for those in the bed of affliction, Lord, that you'd bless them and heal them, Lord. Be with those out working, put a hedge of protection around them, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for the unsaved in our community, Lord, that you would save them before it's everlasting too late. Lead and guide and direct us, Lord, today, that all we are doing are pleasing unto you. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Come on, Sadie.
Again, we thank you for being with us this Wednesday night, and we pray uh, the singing was a blessing to you. We're going to try to have more singing in our services moving forward. Uh, Got some surprises coming up, so we pray you continue to tune in by way of Facebook and enjoy a great time in the Lord. We'll move back into the book of Romans chapter 8 this evening. Romans chapter 8, and we um, start in Romans chapter 8, and when we looked at Romans 8 on Sunday night, we were talking about the process of progressive sanctification, about the cleansing of the Spirit and how the Spirit uh, works in our lives and how it molds us and changes us. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12 this evening. And we'll be talking about God's family. We're going to look at the family plan that God has, as we see in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. That's Romans 8, 12 through 17, and we'll start the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So as we look at God's word this evening, we're going to look at three things. We're looking to abandon, abandon the flesh, adopted by God, and abundantly blessed. And there's three things that we see Paul bringing out in the scripture. Now, as we look at what Paul is saying here, he's talking about a radical transformation that takes place of the new life that we have once we are inside Christ. This is not to happen before we're in Christ. This is not prerequisites to getting saved. This is what God does in the soul of a believer once he is saved. You see, the new life that we have in Christ results in a radical supernatural transformation along with some radical supernatural benefits that we receive from being part of the family of God. And the only reason that we can receive these is because we are in Christ. As we start out here and we look in verse 12, we have to realize, first off, we have to abandon the flesh. Uh, by becoming in Christ, Christ does not allow us to stay in the state we are in. He radically changes us. We often use the uh, analysis that when a person is fishing, he does not go out and uh, and clean fish and then catches it. He catches the fish and then cleans it. And when he does that, the fish is a is new, it is changed, it is altered. In the same way, when God catches us, he alters us or changes us. In verse 12, Paul shows us that after we are saved, we have a moral obligation to follow the Spirit and not give in to our flesh. Now, we want to, to, to speak on this for just a little bit because this can be confusing to folks as they see this here. There's often two big misconceptions. First off, a lot of people think that, in other words, that their salvation is by works. However, we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift to God. We are justified by faith as we learn our first few uh, chapters of Romans 8 here as we've been studying. But after we are saved, the Bible says that we have a new nature that comes within us. It is our, our spiritual nature, and the spiritual man does not just desire the things of the flesh the way the unsaved does. They desire the things of the spirit that God would have us um, to desire. Now, again, this is not salvation by works, but the book of James tells us that, that we are 
uh, salvation without works is dead, which means James talks about how you will know them and they'll show you their faith by their works. When we are saved, when we place our faith in Christ, we have an obligation to walk after the Spirit. Now, we saw in the last chapter of Romans, chapter 7, as Paul is closing out there, he talks about the inward struggle that takes place within him. And a lot of people want to claim that this is an unsaved man talking. However, if we look at the scripture, I believe that because Paul desires to do what God would have him to do, it shows he is saved, he is born again, he's been regenerated, and he desires the things of God, but he struggles constantly with his flesh. A Christian is not sinless. But he struggles constantly against the inward man, which is the spiritual man, the outward man, which is the Adam nature, the sinful man. That doesn't mean, again, doesn't mean the Christian is sinless, but it means he sins a whole lot less and his life is walking, he is continually walking after God. We have a moral obligation to do our best to follow the Spirit as much as we can, to do what we can to please God and to live after God's Word. You see a lot of times folks are looking for God to give them a neon sign saying to do this or not to do that. But God gave us everything we need to know through the, the, the Word of God, through these pages of the Bible where He tells us what His desire for us is. We just need to get into the Word. And right now with the current state of our country and the, the state that we are in, uh, we have a lot of time at home. We have a lot of alone time. And because of that, we have a lot of time. We should be able to get into the Word of God and get closer with God. You see, if Christ has set us free from the control of the flesh, then we should feel obligated to abandon our fleshly nature. That doesn't mean the flesh and the desires of the flesh don't rise up. That means as Christians, we are told through God's Word, He provided a way of escape. A lot of people want to use this as, as, as other meanings, but what He is meaning there is He gave us a way out of giving in to those sinful temptations. When the temptation of the world rise up within us, the Spirit of God is there to help us overcome that. When we give in, we give in voluntarily. We give in by choice. We give in by our own fleshly desires. God has given us a way out of it, but we have to choose to take that way out of it. You see, just like when you're growing up in life, uh, you can see that there are several pathways you can choose to take. Uh, no one can force you down a pathway. Uh, they can encourage you, they can prod you, they can push you, but they can't force you down a pathway. Well, God has given you a pathway as a believer. You can choose God's way or you can choose the fleshly way. Now, let's be clear. When a believer gives into the flesh, he is chastised by the Spirit. The Bible talks about the chastening rod of God that comes down upon those who disobey God. In the same way a father uh, uh, disciplines his child, the Heavenly Father will discipline the believer in order that they may repent and keep an intimacy with God and keep where they need to be to be spiritually useful. You see, God doesn't need our perfection to be justified. He needs us to be good believers, to be spiritually useful to those around us. And in the same way, if God loves us, God wants us to live an abundant life. He wants us to be obedient and to do the things that are to be blessings to us. You see, we see in verse 13 where the Bible says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now that's a verse that crushes a lot of this idea that a Christian can live in whatever manner he so chooses without the convicting power of God upon them. Verse 13, the word flesh there doesn't mean our physical being. You see, we are to glorify God with our physical flesh. Our body should be used as a tool to bring glory to the name of our Lord. 
but is that evil nature that is within us from birth that is unable to please God. And it shows here that a, verse, a person that follows after this fleshly nature will die. Now let's be very clear. This death is not the physical death. Every human being that breathes a breath of life will face a physical death. The Lord tarries his coming. This flesh is going to go the way of the grave, but inside the flesh is a spiritual man. If the spiritual man is to live forever, it says right here that we have to mortify the deeds of the body. In other words, it clarifies in those verse 13 and verse 14 what it means to be a Christian. That means the individual who is shacked up living in sin cannot be saved if they are not under the convicting power of God. A person that lives in unrepentant sin does not live a life characteristic of what Paul gives in the Word of God that a Christian should be like. Now that does not mean that I can look at an individual that is sinning and say they are not saved because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But what it does mean is you can know as an individual that if you can live in unrepentant sin without the convicting power of God wooing you, I don't want to use the word driving, leading you, is the word we should use there, leading you out of that life, that means the Spirit of God is not within you. That means you are not saved. And I don't want to, I don't want to be accused of, of, of preaching works because this is again our salvation, our justification is by faith. But once the justification is there and the Holy Spirit comes to be within us, God is going to start a work in us. The Bible says, and He will continue this work up until the day of His return, up until the day that we are in His presence. He is molding us. He is changing us. He is cleaning us up. When we get out of line, he is disciplining us. I'll give an example to maybe help clarify this. If a child is not my child, it's not a student in my classroom, not a kid in my church, if I have no relationship with that child, it is not my business to discipline that child. I would be out of line. But... If it is a child that I have a relationship with, it is my job to discipline that child and to make sure within the bounds of the biblical discipline to make sure that they are doing the things they should, that they are safe, that they are healthy, that they are well taken care of, and that I raise them up in the way they should go. Now, if that is my God's expectation of me as a earthly man, we can expect a spiritual heavenly father is going to take his spiritual children and do the very same thing. You see verse 14, for as many as live the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Which means, if you are not led by the Spirit, you are not the sons of God. That does not mean you had it and you lost it. That doesn't mean God put you up for adoption. That means you never were. Simple as that. It means that you were never adopted in to this family. You see, let's look at what Matthew said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That goes against a lot of what people believe today. Because you talk to so many people that say, well, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Or I went to an altar once, I'm going to heaven. Or I got baptized, I'm going to heaven. Or I'm in a, I'm a membership of the such and such church, I'm going to heaven. Yet they're living sinful, godless lives. They do nothing that shows a fruit of the Spirit. <coughs> Sorry, I get a drink of water. But they do nothing that shows the fruit of the Spirit. And because of that, they have no sign of salvation. Your salvation is not about what you feel, but the Spirit should be leading you somewhere. And the Spirit is not leading you, and you are able to resist the sovereign will of God, then you very well may be an orphan, and you may not have a heavenly Father. Folks, we need to be very careful of, of justifying people into hell. And a lot of times it's what we're doing when people say, well, I don't know if I'm saved. And they say, oh, you prayed a prayer at such and such time. Or, oh, you were baptized at such and such time. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Ask yourself, who is leading you? And we'll move on. We'll leave that there. You see, Paul gives us a conditional that is undisputable there. We see in this next section that we not only have given the opportunity to abandon the Spirit, we've been adopted by God. After salvation, we become directly related to God the Father. Now, we aren't cousins. We aren't uncles and aunts. We aren't estranged. We aren't even steps. We are children of God at that point. And the Old Testament talks about a time when People lived in fear, and it was a dark time. People were constantly trying to do sacrifices and things of that nature to justify their sin. People under the law, it was a time of legalism. And people that are under the law today, people that are legalistic today, are still miserable. They're a slave to it. Now, I know we just talked about a lot of works, and works does bear you out who you belong to, who your father is, whether your father be the devil or your father be God. However, I know because I'm a child of God that when I do make a mistake, I have an advocate which is the father, which is Christ Jesus. And because I have an advocate, he goes and pleads my case. I don't have to live in constant fear of abandonment because my hope is not in me. My hope is not in me keeping my salvation. My hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the firm foundation, the solid rock on whom my faith rests. And because the Bible says he is never changing, because the Bible says that he will go with me all the way unto the day of redemption, the Bible says he'll never leave me nor forsake me, and I am sealed with his Holy Spirit, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am God's and I will remain God's for eternity. Just as my children will always be my children, I will always be God's spiritual children. See, our relationship to God is that of a father and a child, and because of that, we should have a reverent respect for God, but not a enslaved, constant fear of God. 
I want what's best for my children, and because of that, I will do whatever I have to to take the best care of them. I know because I am God's spiritual children, He will do what is best for me to take care of me, to bless me, to give me abundant life, to show His love for me, His, His compassion for me. The Bible says He is patient and long-suffering. Uh, the Bible says that uh, He foreknew me before the foundations of the earth. The Bible says He tells that He has a plan for me. Uh, for not for my evil, but for my good. You see, through the Spirit, we see here the word Abba Father. Back up. It says the word Abba Father. And that word Abba shows intimacy, a closeness. This is not a distant relationship. When I speak to God, it should not be like I'm speaking to a stranger or even to a friend, but it should be like I'm speaking to my Father. We hear a lot of people pray, and they're praying what I call the King James, throw a lot of these and thys and thous and all this fancy talk, that's not necessary. We need to speak God to God just as we would speak reverently to our own Father. We speak to Him from a loving heart. We speak to Him um, out of respect and honor. You see, we see in verse 16 that through the Spirit, we know who we belong to. We know who our family is. The Spirit of God reveals that God's truth to us. You see, we can't see the truth of God just through reading the Bible. Yeah, we can see a lot of words, but there's a lot of things you can't understand in the Bible until you're saved. Jesus taught that in John 7, 17. And Peter didn't know who Jesus truly was. He knew Jesus as a good teacher. He knew Jesus as a good man. He heard stories that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah that's prophesied about. But Peter never truly knew until the Spirit of God revealed it to him in Matthew 16, 16 through 17. Again, this goes back to obedience. The reason that I obey God is because I know, not just from what I was taught in Sunday school and what I was taught at home, but I know through what the Spirit has showed me of who God is, and that makes me tremble. I reverently have a reverent respect. The Bible says to work out thy salvation with fear and trembling. Not to work for, but to work out. Because the Spirit has showed me the power and the truth of who God is, I want to serve Him faithfully because I have a reverent fear of Him. Not a fear as in He's going to be mean to me and bully me, but a fear of the fact that that he is the Alpha and the Mega, he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that he is the Almighty, all-powerful, righteous, holy God, and that I owe him everything and he owes me nothing. You cannot truly get where you need to be with God until the Spirit reveals it to you. If you're sitting there this evening and you realize you have a need for a Savior, it's not because of what your parents told you or even because of what I told you. It's because of what the Spirit is showing you through the preaching of the Word. Faith cometh by hearing, by, and hearing cometh by the Word of God. You see, all this we have through the Spirit. If we're going to know we're saved, it's because we have the Spirit. You can't be saved outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not present in your life, you are condemned to a devil's hell just like you were before. But the minute the Spirit of God comes into your heart and you are a new creature, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are God's and He is yours. You see, because of what Christ did, because we're in Christ, we have the third A, an abundant blessing. So we are able to abandon our flesh. 
We're adopted by God and we're abundantly blessed. Due to our relationship with God, remember he's our father, we're his children, we receive everything that Christ would receive. Jesus told his disciples he was going to go away to prepare a place where he is, we may be also. In his father's house are many mansions. And because of this, all that is for us. Again, we need to take a moment to meditate on just how good God is. That God saw a sinful, wretched creation that lived in constant rebellion to him. And then the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to earth and died the death that we deserve to die, suffered the torment that we deserve to suffer, and overcome death, hell, and the grave for us, that we may overcome death, hell, and the grave if we are in Christ. But not only that, he went away to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we can be with him someday, that we may have not just be uh, servants, but be heirs, be family to God himself, be reconciled back to God. God done all this for a creation that wanted nothing to do with him. But here is the sobering part. It says here that we don't only just receive abundant blessing, we also receive abundant sufferings. But we should view our persecution as a blessing. Because the persecution comes because we are identified with Christ. Now, please don't look at this the wrong way. When it talks about suffering, it's not talking about God doing evil things to mankind for his own twisted pleasure. That's not the God we serve. It's talking about us being persecuted for the sake of Christ. Is talking about us going through trials for the sake of Christ. Now, God will make us uncomfortable to teach us a lesson. We see it time and time again in the Bible. Sometimes fleshly, uh, un being fleshly uncomfortable can a lot of times drive us toward God when we uh, forsake Him or when we tr get distance and away from Him. Um, a lot of times, things of this flesh that are uncomfortable will make us pray harder and seek Him harder. That isn't torture. That isn't that. That is a lesson. That is God's way of trying to get us somewhere that He needs us to be. Sometimes the trials and tribulations are designed to prepare us for something great down the road. Job went through absolute uh, torture for a long time, but we see in the end God gave him so much more than he ever had to begin with. Yeah, he had a lot of trials. But look at the blessing at the end. In this earth, in this life, you will have a lot of trials. But you are going to have a lot of blessings in the end. But you need to hold on to the promise we, you have in Jesus Christ. You see, everything we have here, everything we talked about this evening, we receive God's approval only because we are in Christ. He does not see... Justin Bazden, or you and all our faults and failures, all our sins, all our wretchedness, all the disgusting, sinful things that we have thought and done, he sees Christ applied to us. 
We receive all the blessings we receive. The Bible says all good things come from above. Which means all good things in our life come from God. And the reason we receive them is because we're in Christ. We're God's children. His creation. He loves us. I mean, yes, God so loves the world. They gave His only begotten Son. However, there is a special kind of love that God has for His church because that is where we have the right as His children, His church, to cry out, Abba, Father. A person that is unsaved is a spiritual orphan. God is not their father, and they don't have an advocate, and they have no one to cry out to. We receive that because we have received Christ and are in Christ. But as we said, we also suffer because we're in Christ. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. But also the really big blessed promise we have is one day we'll be glorified because of Christ. Let's read this, read this last verse one more time. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, that means we are, Christ is our brother, we inherit all he inherits, we rule and reign with him, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. There is a day going to come for all those that are dead in Christ. That means that they have went, they have passed away, that God is going to call and they're going to rise up from the grave. Doesn't, those have been that died in, in war overseas, may they have been missing in action, knowing they found their bodies. God knows exactly where they are. And God is going to call them up. And they will receive a glorified body likened unto him. And they will be made perfect. Physically perfect. No aches, no pains, no sickness, no suffering, no nothing. Perfect. And they will be with him in heaven. In that new heaven, that new earth forever. Walking that street of gold. And in that place, it says that Jesus will be the light of that city. We won't need to have a son there because we have a son. We have the Son of God there. He'll be the light of that city. And for eternity, we'll be enjoying the blessings and the, the presence of God and be worshiping Him together with every person who has ever been born again. Every person has ever trusted in Christ. Folks, how beautiful of a promise do we have that God gave us all that. He didn't tell us to go change first. He didn't tell us to go change our actions first and then he'll bless us. He didn't tell us to fix ourselves first. He says to come unto me. All you that are weary and heavy laden and he will give you rest. The reason that we are out of this spiritual bond, the reason we're out of this fear that is spoke about there in verse 15 is because we can rest in Christ. I can rest knowing that I don't work for my salvation. The work was done on the cross. Jesus done the work. And because I'm trusting in him, that my faith is placed in him, I am in Christ. He has taken my sins away, and that price was paid. The punishment was paid for on Calvary, never brought against me again. And I received his righteousness, and I was adopted into the family of God. And adoption in the Jewish tradition was permanent. 
In other words, I am sealed. Uh, God is not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to cast me out. I can be sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am his forever. Remember John 3.16. We just quoted a half of it there. For God so the world gives only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The life that I receive in Christ is forever. It is everlasting, never ending. When do I receive it? The moment I believe and trust in him. As we close out this evening, right there on that note, have you believed? Have you trusted in him? Do you know for a fact if you were to close your eyes in death or if Christ was to come back for the church and rapture us out of here that you are in Christ? Maybe you're listening to see and you say, well, I, I, I think I am, but I don't know I am. I would be terrified to be in that state. If you don't know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're saved, that you're in Christ, that your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to encourage you right where you are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in Him, to receive Him as your Savior, and as an outpouring of your faith, pray to God, ask Him to save you, ask Jesus to be your Savior and receive Him and then follow after the spirit that God's going to give you. A simple prayer such as, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking for your, uh, your son Jesus to be my personal savior. Lord, I thank you for sending him to pay the price for my sins. And I ask you, Lord, to adopt me into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A prayer such as that. It does not, it's not the words that you say that save you. It is the faith from in here that drives you to say that prayer that saves you. Romans 10 says, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, God doesn't ask you to be perfect. He doesn't ask you to be sinless. He asks you to place your faith in his son Jesus. I want to encourage you today, right where you are, to place your faith in His Son. As we pray a prayer in closing, I'm going to ask and encourage you to cry out to God right where you are and ask Him to save you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to deliver your word this evening, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you forgive us for we sin and fall short, Lord, and help us, Lord, follow after you. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you poured out upon us, Lord. Thank you for Jesus dying for our sins. We pray now for anyone who may be listening to this, Lord, that may be unsaved, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would draw them and let them see their need for a Savior, Lord, and that they would place their faith fully in him that they may be born again. We thank you, Lord, for, for justifying us by our faith, knowing, Lord, that it's not from works, but it's, it's you, Lord, that salvation comes. That it's only by your son Jesus, Lord. And through the inner working of your spirit, Lord. You do a marvelous, wonderful work in us, Lord. But it starts with you. It continues with you. And Lord, it ends with you. Because it is you that we worship. It is you that we cling to, Lord. And it is you that we trust in. 
We pray, Lord, you lead God and direct us, Lord. That's all we do is pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Now, we encourage you this evening, if you pray a prayer of salvation or if you have questions, uh, you can contact us on Facebook, on uh, Twitter or Instagram. You can email us, basedin42 at gmail.com. We would love to counsel you or talk with you. Don't forget, we'll be back Sunday morning at 1030, uh, teaching the Sunday school lesson, and then be back Sunday night at 7. Thank you for tuning in this evening, and, and we look forward to uh, being with you next time. God bless you.